a pleasant uh, Sunday morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. I entitle today's message, True Redemption, because as much as there is something as true freedom and fake freedom, yung freedom na supposed to be declared we are free, and yet there's oppression and injustice, diba? that's not the real freedom we expect. There's true freedom. And there's also such a thing as true redemption. And it is when people of God live under the true freedom that Christ, the true redemption that Christ has paved for you and me. And we would like to explore on that thought further this morning as we continue our study in the book of um, Zechariah. You know, the phrase return with a vengeance was originally used for people who got discriminated, marginalized, and then they come back to pay back the oppressors or those who mistreat them by giving them a taste of their own medicine. Right? You come with a vengeance. But later on, this phrase is also used when a totally desperate situation at this devastating failure or a hopeless scenario turns around completely and it becomes a story of victory, success, and hope. Returning with a vengeance, yung tawag. Otherwise, it would just remain as a tragedy instead of a story of true redemption because nothing good happened after the crisis. Now, maybe many of you like Starbucks. And do you know that in the 70s, 80s, and 1990s, they were only in the U.S. and Canada, and they have around 6,000 stores in total. The business was growing. But the recession came in 2008, and from 6,000 stores, they had to close 1,000 stores. And their profit plunged by 30%. Right? And that was a very devastating experience for this company. Right? It was a continuing downhill until they started to think, turn things around. By March of 2008, they launched what uh, was called their campaign called My Starbucks Idea. And this was a campaign where they vowed to listen to the customers, right? uh, to hear from them what they want. And the bold move paid off because today there was a turnaround for Starbucks. There are now 27,000 stores worldwide making more money than the company could ever count. So this was a true story of a returning with a vengeance or a massive turnaround or maybe what we can say a story of true redemption because something good came out of that crisis for them. And so you and I really need a massive turnaround in our lives today, don't we? Because whether we like it or not, three years into the pandemic, we are severely affected. Depression is no longer a psychological disease. Now it's a communal experience. Everyone has some sort of uh, down feeling or depression. Now it has taken a toll on our finances. We can no longer enjoy those long vacations. Aside from Mahirap yung restrictions, the budget is low, right? Education also took a toll. 
uh, students have a hard time coping with the online learning, right? And then there are many financial stresses that we experience, and even churches and ministries and Christians suffer some kind of loss, right? And those, so churches have been wondering, how can we get back our attendance on Sunday morning when people prefer to stay online? So if you're online, welcome back to church on Sunday morning. Come and worship with us, right? We also need a turnaround in our churches so that we can return with a vengeance, become a story of true redemption after all of the crisis is over, right? So, will your story in your Christian journey through this time of difficulty be a story of a tragedy or after a turnaround be a story of true redemption? Now we talk about the book, Zechariah. Zechariah's main theme is prophecies about the Messiah and the Messianic kingdom that is to come. And this is very important to, un- to understand because Zechariah, this point, he was telling the people to return to the Lord. It is one of the most positive prophetic books because on and on, Zechariah's message is return to the Messiah and the Messiah's kingdom is like this and that. You know, and it has the most messianic prophecies, second to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. Now, and he was actually a contemporary of the prophet Haggai. Now, they all, both of them were prophets during the post-exilic time when Judah was returning to Jerusalem after captivity in Babylon for 70 years. So Haggai started to prophesy, and after two months, Zechariah comes also to give his messages from the Lord. So the point of Zechariah, his ministry was to encourage the remnants in Judah who has just returned from the exile from Babylon during the Persian rule, that they are to look forward to the coming of the Messiah, to look forward for the return of the Messianic kingdom, to rebuild the temple, to worship God again, to restore their relationship with God and their status as the people of God called to make a difference in the world. That's the message of Zechariah. Awaken, brothers and sisters. Get out of the spiritual complacency and focus on running towards the plan of God. Now, it is easier said than done. Why? Because they were in exile for 70 years, right? Under the rule of Babylon and now Persia. Okay? So for those people who were being sent back, it was no good news. Because they're going to be, they're, they have been accustomed to life in Babylon. It's a very prosperous city with the perks. They must have already their own businesses, livelihood, and they have built their homes. And now God is telling them to go back to the ruins in Jerusalem and do some rework. It's like you have been overseas for 20 years, enjoying your life, having your friends and everything, and suddenly, now your parents decide to come home and start again. So it was no good news for any of the exiles. So only 50,000 of them came back with Zerubbabel, right? To live in that destroyed city. And 
18 years has passed since they returned. 18 years. And they have not finished rebuilding the temple. Diba? How long did Nehemiah rebuild the wall? 50 over days. 18 years has passed, and the Israelites, the Jews, have not rebuilt the temple. And that's how Zechariah starts his message. Right? Why are they living a life as if they are still in exile in the land of Babylon? Why are they complacent to restore their relationship with God and to do God's work? Why are they living like captives in their own hometown? Why haven't they returned with a vengeance to show that they are truly the redeemed people of God? And so you and I must heed to the challenge of Zechariah. If you are in a state of spiritual complacency and you have lost your first love for God, this message is for you. And listen well. Otherwise, your spiritual walk life journey as a follower of Jesus will become a tragedy instead of a story of true redemption. Now, Zechariah starts with a challenge to return to the Lord and rebuild the temple. That's his message to the remnants during the time. And then there will be eight visions given before the passage today. Now, and these visions, in summary, ito yung sinasabi. Seventy years of punishment in exile is done. God is, God is done with punishing them. The restoration of Judah, Jerusalem, the temple is in progress because that's the plan of God. The punishment of their oppressors is guaranteed. No, Assyria is no more and now Babylon is no more. Kaya it's already the Persian Empire. And God wants His people to go back on track to be the chosen people of God to carry the message of good news to the world, to be a blessing unto nations. And it will only happen if they listen to the message of Zechariah during that time. Awaken from your spiritual complacency. Awaken. Come back to what God has called you to do. Return to the Lord. Wake up and live out a story of true redemption. You know, when a prisoner is on death row, right? And that means that they're waiting to die. There's no longer hope for change. But when you put them into rehabilitation, it means that after a period of uh, healing, they will go back to their normal life and become, pro uh, become productive citizens once again. Right? That's what we want, rehabilitation, not on that row. But this is this juice. We're like they're on that row. They're just waiting and waiting and waiting. They're not acting as God has called them to. I don't know about you, but oftentimes when we face crisis, we become spiritually complacent. We got sick. We have so many worries and concerns. We had relational issues, work issues, financial issues. We suddenly become so packed down with worry, we become slack on our relationship with God and the mission of God. But sometimes it's because we just simply love to pursue the world, love to get what is offered. No, kaya nga yung problema rin ng social media. No, we see too many good things 
and we want to have all of them, right? So the pursuit of the world can derail you from the mission of God. So is the crises that we face can derail us from the mission of God. So Zechariah in chapter 6 gives them two portraits, the portrait of the coming Messiah and the portrait of God's people to give them a picture in their heart and mind how they ought to live, how they ought to live. So we start with portraits of the Messiah. You know, in the Australian coat of arms, there's symbol, there's an emu and a kangaroo. And these symbols were selected because they can, these are animals that can only move forward, cannot jump back. Right? The kangaroo will fall off. The emu naman, its toes, three-pronged toes, they will also fall off when they move back. So they're animals that only jump forward. Even turning around, they have to be turning around forward, never backward. And so that's why they put this, because it is a symbol for them. And what is the symbol Zechariah is giving the remnants of Judah here? The first is this, the coronation. Of who? Joshua, the high priest, will experience a symbolic coronation. Right? Why? Why put a crown for a king on the head of a priest? So that's what we're, we, what's the picture that um, Zechariah was trying to portray. But this actually will set up the stage for them to look forward for the coming Messiah, for them to recalibrate their lives, okay, to be more, to live a life that is pleasing to God. So let's read this passage out loud together. And together, the word of the Lord came to me, take from the exiles Heldai, Tobijah, and Jedaiah, who have arrived from Babylon, and go to the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah, take from them silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Okay, what does, what is, does that mean? So, sabi dun sa commentary, this is one of the most difficult passages in Zechariah. Thanks to the one who assigned this passage to me. But it actually, I actually enjoyed preparing for it. So, God asked Zechariah to take silver and gold from the newly returned exiles, fashion it into a crown, and put it on the head of Joshua, the high priest. Which is very unusual because you don't put the crown of a king on a priest. Now, before we have to understand that there are three primary offices in the kingdom of Israel. The king, the prophet, and the priest. Right? The king, in regards to the covenant or the agreement that God will be their God and they will be his people, is the king will be the one appointed to lead the people to obey and follow the covenant. Right? So as the ruler, he's supposed to influence the people to love God and obey God's law. But some kings will be good kings. They lead the people to seek God, like Jehoshaphat, Josiah, you know, these are good kings. But there are also evil kings like Jeroboam who will lead the people astray okay, from God. So this very important office is the king. But there's also the prophet. He's called the covenant enforcer 
when the people and the king disobey, the prophet will stand out and represent God to rebuke the people, to follow, get back on track on the covenant. That's the role of the prophet. And the priest, he represents man naman to God to make the sacrifices, to receive ritual cleansing, and also teach the law to the people. And they facilitate worship. So there are three leadership roles in Israel helping them to be on track with their relationship with God. It's like a safety net. Parang yung Philippines merong executive, judicial, saka legal system, right? To check and balance each other. No? If one is not working, the other will take charge. It's like a safety measure. So why put a crown, the symbol of the king's authority, on the high priest? Now, this is what the passage says. It because this is going to be a symbol of the branch. Sabi dun sa passage. Now, the branch or the olive branch is usually a symbol for the nation of Israel and also a symbol for the Messiah, the olive shoot, or even the church. Right? So, Zechariah was to give the high priest a message after the coronation. And this will explain what the symbol is all about. Let's read together. And say to him, Thus says the Lord of the host, Behold the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his, his this place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor, and shall sit and rule on his throne, and there shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall between, be between them both. So what is the story about the branch? No? Now, Joshua was not being made king. It was just a symbolic ceremony to talk about this branch who is coming from among them, who will rebuild the temple, who will rule on the throne, and who will be the priest of God. And we know who that is because that is how Jesus is described later on as the Messiah. So Zechariah was giving the people who are complacent, they are waiting for something to happen without rebuilding the temple, to look forward for the coming of this Messiah who holds both the office of the priest and the king in perfect harmony. No cross-checking needed because he is the answer to all our questions. He is the fulfillment of the covenant and all that there is. Right? And so this is the one we're looking for. So in 1 Timothy 6.15, uh, Timothy calls Jesus King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And indeed, he was titled as a king. In Revelations 19, verse 16 as well, it says about the Messiah, on his robe and on his tie, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Right? So, definitely, he deserves the crown. But also, in Hebrews chapter 8, it says, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man speaking also about Jesus, our priest and king. In other parts of the Bible, 
no? we will also see Jesus taking also the role of the prophet, the messenger of God, right? who represents God. So in Jesus, God is represented to us. In Jesus, we are represented to God as he rule over all mankind and given all authority. In other words, the Messiah is coming, people of Judah. Awaken. Get ready. Stop slacking off. No? Prepare yourselves for the way of the Lord. He will come to restore the temple. He will sit on the throne of the king. He will be our priest forever. Right? So this is the picture of the Messiah they have to look to. Now, Judah could have become a story of true redemption if and only if they understood finally from their heart what their ancestors have missed. Right? That's why they were exiled, because they chose sin over obedience to God. Because it was never about their circumstances or achievement as a people, it was always about who they serve. Yahweh, their God, it's about who they belong to. But like their fathers, they're now rejecting God as their ruler because of their spiritual complacency. Because 18 years have passed and they're still not rebuilding the temple. They're still not living out their calling as the people of God called to transform the world and call them to return to God. And so Zechariah's message is, wake up before it's too late. Wake up. And he gives them in the succeeding passages a picture of the Messiah and his kingdom. The branch. Right? So now we have seen the two portraits of God people. We would like to also add the two portraits of the Messiah through the coronation and the branch. He is the king and priest. Now, we would like to look at the portrait of God's people. What's the impact that ought to be in the lives of those who declare themselves that they know God? Now, Dan Bowman in his book, Dare to Believe, shared some thoughts about the crucifixion that should deepen our gratitude for what the Savior did for us. And let me read this quote. The 20th century has forgotten how cruel and hideous the crucifixion really was. We have perhaps unwisely and sometimes unconsciously glamorized the cross, used them as jewelry and steeple alike. They are just ornamental and attractive, but carry nothing of the real story of the crucifixion. It was the most painful method of public death in the first century, and the victim was placed on a wooden cross. Nails, undoubtedly wooden, were driven into hands and feet of the victim, and then the cross was lifted and jarred heavily into the ground, tearing the flesh of the crucified hands and feet, racking his body with excruciating pain. And historians remind us that even the soldiers could not get used to the horrible sight. Even the soldiers were alarmed and scared and often took strong drinks to numb their senses when they see this. 
excruciating, gruesome death. And you know, Jesus endured six hours of such anguish so that we might be forgiven of our sin. And if it doesn't change our attitude as a Christian, what would? Right? Do we understand what Jesus, the Messiah, has done for us? And so this ought to be what we look like. Right? Let's read this passage in Zechariah 6.14. And the crown shall be in the temple of the Lord as a reminder to Helem, Tobijah, Jedadiah, and Hen, the son of Sephaniah. No? The crown will become a memorial, an everlasting reminder of what the Messiah will be for them. Right? And so it's really common that we forget about God. Even in the history of Judah, their kings will obey God. And then when they have a good life, they forget God. And then oppressors will come, invade them, and they will repent and come back to God again and again and again and again until the exile. And even after the exile, it's still the same repeating history. They don't learn their lesson and so with us. And so we need a memorial, a reminder, right? And what are we to remember? Who do we belong to? You know, Christ has died on that cross with an excruciating death for you to be His child, for you to be His messenger, for you to be redeemed and called to be a blessing. So we ought to imitate Christ because we call Him Lord and Savior, right? And we ought to live out His character as kings and priests. Let me explain that further. Remember who you belong to, what Christ has done to redeem you with a great price, right? That's why in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, let's read out loud together. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, true redemption is when we get out of our rut, get out of our spiritual complacency, get back to Christ, and run that race Christ has marked out for you and me to serve him fervently, to pursue him passionately. Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay everything aside, every weight and sin which clings so closely. Run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God right? How worldly have you become today? Have you become spiritually complacent in these past three years? Have you become busy with the agenda of the world and forsaken the agenda of God in your life? Have you been drifting away spiritually from God? Do you put serving God and sharing Christ as a high priority in your life or a have-been? 
Has doubts clouded our mind and overcome our faith? And have we given up on God's goodness and justice? Has your heart stopped beating, beating for Jesus? Do you need some revival in your life? Right? And so aside from that uh, memorial, we are given a picture of future restoration. What will look like when people of God obey His call? Look at what will happen when they obey according to Zechariah. Those who are far off shall come to help to build the temple of the Lord, and you shall know that the Lord has sent me to you, and this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. No, people from different places coming together, working hand in hand to serve God, right? Crossing the distance to rebuild the temple, right? And it would take, and if we take to heart the message of Zechariah and awaken and get rid of spiritual con, uh, complacency and heed the voice of God, then we will experience, you know, the outworking of His purpose and plan in our lives. The church will be united, right? The people around the Christians will be united to pursue the calling of Christ. Will you shape up your life and look forward for His second coming, right? They were, look, they were looking forward His first coming. Today, we are looking forward for that glorious day Jesus is returning to end all suffering and to usher in an eternal kingdom, that is glorious, right? Jesus today, the priest and king, is building not a temple, but a church. Not a building, but his people. Gathering God's people from all the nations with one deep faith in Jesus, the rock. It's not Peter, but Jesus, the foundation of our faith, right? He is our Messiah, priest, king, who will usher in what we hope for as we obey. So what is the meaning for you to make Jesus priest and king of your life once again? If he is your great high priest, then understand that he has brought you restoration to God Right? And so, this was done with blood and suffering on the cross. And so, are you enjoying communion with God as you should? Or wasting away what Jesus bought for you with a high price? Right? Awaken, brothers and sisters, if you're in a state of spiritual complacency. So that you can be a story of true redemption. If Jesus is your king, then are you following his agenda and purpose or are you simply pursuing your own agenda and purpose, the pursuits of this world? Are you serving him wholeheartedly and giving your all to take part in his command to finish the great commission? Are we evidences that this is true in our life? If not, let's ask the Lord to help us to bring us closer, to draw back, to return 
to the Lord. Second, are we now reflections of His character? As our priestly role as followers of Jesus is to bring others to be restored into a relationship with Jesus and God. Are there people you're trying to help usher into a knowledge and relationship with Christ today? Or that has not been a priority of yours for a long, long time. As a kingly role, we are to be leaders of others, influencing them through our example, what it looks like to follow Christ and have Him in our lives. You know, it's not enough for us to know here that we are redeemed. It's not enough. It must show, it must flow out of our life so that we can become channels of grace to this world. And so, what is the antidote to complacency is to restore your relationship with Jesus and take the challenge today to be salt and light. What did Jesus say about salt? When salt has lost its saltiness, it has no use than to be trampled on and thrown to the ground. Okay? As a light, you do not put it under a bowl and hide its light because a city cannot be hidden when there is light. We are called to be salt and light. So today, brothers and sisters, I'd like to ask you to bow down your head for a while. You know, and if you have been in a situation of complacency, distancing from God, now ask for the Lord to begin a new work in you, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. He is awaiting for willing hearts to be transformed and renewed to pursue the high calling of Jesus in our lives.